Thank you for tuning into the New Vision Podcast. Our prayer is that this talk builds your faith, brings clarity, and gives you hope. Enjoy the message. Have you ever thought about the things that you heard growing up that you thought were true, that as you became an adult, you found out they really weren't true? Think about this. Things that your parents and my parents said to us that we believed hook, line, and sinker, and we passed it on to people that we know. Things like, don't stand so close to the TV because it'll hurt your eyes. I know I've said that to my kids. It's not true. How about this one? Don't swallow your gum. Because if you do, it takes seven years to digest. Who came up with seven years? And we know that that's not true. Or, or other things like if you make a funny face or you make a cross-eyed face, it'll stick. Now, when I was growing up, it, we took it a step further. And if someone hit you in the back of the head while you were making that face, that's when it stuck. And I don't know if that was just a ploy for my parents and my aunts and uncles to be able to smack us upside our heads. But we took advantage of that. If my sister made a face, man, I was trying to get her and smack her upside her face too, just to keep it. The best though, the absolute best is when you're driving in the car and it's at night and you need to see and the kids in the back reach up and they turn on that dome light in the back. Parents in the front seat freak out immediately. What are you doing? Turn that light off. I need to see. No, you don't need to see. Because if you keep that light on, we're going to get pulled over. It is against the law to drive with the dome light on. The police will come and get us. I've said that to my, I've been in trouble for that as a kid. My kids have been in trouble for that. They might want to read a book. They might want to see their game. They drop something. You got about six and a half seconds of light before it comes off because the police are on their way. I don't know what it is about the dome light being on, but it attracts all the police officers that are nearby. We tell our kids these things. And it's not true. But what's crazy is the fact that it's not true didn't change the way it affected us because we believed that it was true. And there are experiences that we've had in life. There are things that were told to us like that. Those are all fun and, and silly things, but they still affected us as if they were true, even though they weren't. And if you begin to think about, you know, the bad relationships that you've had in your life, the people that have loved you and left you, the... Um, the struggles that you faced in life, the bad luck is the only kind of luck that you ever have, the um, expectations that didn't seem to be quite met, the disappointments that we've had. All of those things seem to kind of pile up and add on to our worldview and sometimes even our faith view. See, the things that may have happened that may not be 100% true, they still begin to affect me as if they are true because as I proceed in life, all of those things go through this filter and I begin to look at people differently. When people try to get close to me, I begin to make snap judgments about who they are when I see them. I can know them. I can not know them. And I may not even understand them. But all of these things that I've believed somehow have shaped how I view people, how I view God. And today, we're going to continue our conversation about unity. And I, I want to begin with this. The message is simply titled, The Heart is Where It Starts. Let's pray together. God, we love you and we thank you for being able to gather together once again in your presence. Lord, we thank you that your presence is not limited to a place, a building inside of walls. It's not capped by the ceiling. But God, we are thankful that we get to be here. 
And Lord, for those of us that, that are listening to this, wherever we are, we pray that you would do something in our hearts. Lord, I pray once again today that you would make us uncomfortable. You didn't come to make us comfortable. You came to make us new. And so, God, I pray today that you would once again allow your word to sink deep into our hearts, to challenge us, and to change us. God, I pray for your anointing as I communicate your word, that I would communicate it clearly and effectively. In Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to spend a couple of minutes here, and then we're going to jump into John chapter 4. But in Matthew chapter 5, as you turn there, this is by far the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached. Probably the best sermon ever recorded in history. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus came and he began to turn the world upside down. The things that people thought, the things that they knew, what they had lived their life by. Jesus came in and I don't know whether he did this with a smile. If it was me, I would have. But he began to turn everything on its head. He began to say things that people didn't hear before. They'd never understood it that way until he showed up. Here's what he says, is in, here's what he says in verse 43. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for you? Or what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, in those four or five verses, Jesus takes what they had been living their entire life by and turns it on its head. See, he references Leviticus 19 where it says to love your enemy. But what had happened is Jesus added, but you've heard it said, love your enemy and hate your, or love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You see, what had been happening is the Pharisees, the teachers in that day, began to look back at Leviticus 19 and say, well, you know, when that part of the law was given, the neighbors were all Jewish. And so this only applies to our good Jewish people. So when I love my neighbor, the qualification for you being my neighbor is that you are a good Jewish person. And then they begin to infer that everyone else was not their neighbor and that it was okay to hate them. In Jesus' day, there were a couple of groups that would have caught this attention. They would have caught this hatred, and it starts with Gentiles. That's a big group that just says you're not Jewish. But most importantly, Samaritans, they were half-breeds. They had began to intermarry with other faiths and other religions and other people, and the Jewish people despised them. And so they began to say, you can love your neighbor and hate your enemy because they're not me. They're not Jewish. It's okay. I can do that. You see, the problem that Jesus was addressing at the time was when the leader gets it wrong, the followers get it wrong. And when the followers get it wrong, their family gets it wrong. And that's kind of where we're stuck at today, that when leaders have got this wrong, the followers get it wrong, and then families get it wrong. And that's why we still see right now, today, in 2020, divides in race, in culture, in class, even in the church. Because when we get it wrong as leaders... The people in the congregation gets it wrong, and then families get it wrong after that. But guess what? Jesus said, you might have heard it this way, but you don't have to live this way. Let me give you a new way. And I believe that Jesus was not just, here, here's what he's doing. He's not just challenging their actions. He's challenging their hearts. 
You see, because if I want to live like Jesus is living, if I want to walk in unity, if I want to really understand the parable of the Good Samaritan, when Jesus answers the question, who is my neighbor with everyone, then I have to be willing to allow God to search our hearts. That's step one. I have to, you have to, we have to be willing, not for me to look inside, but for me to ask God to search my heart. Because you know what? I can deceive myself an awful lot. I can do it really quickly. I can convince myself of things that I know God doesn't want me to do, things that I know are against his will. But you know what? It's hard for me to do that to God. And when I allow God to search my heart, this is where real surgery begins. This is where change happens. But oftentimes it's kind of painful. Because you know what? If I allow God to look into my heart and challenge me, then I'm faced with something that doesn't line up with who he is. And then I have to choose, will I be like Christ or will I be like me? But this is also where Jesus does his best work. If we allow him to get in and craft and shape our hearts, this is where he does his best work. I bet you could think of people in your life right now that before Jesus came into their life, you did not want to be around them. And I bet that after Jesus changed their life, you saw, wow, this is a different person. Suddenly the scriptures that say we're new creations make sense because this person was A and now they are B because of Christ. Jesus began to tell us, you might have heard it one way, but let me give you another way. Jesus is asking us simply to relearn some things today. He said, you've heard, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you. In the same sermon recorded in Luke, Jesus gives us even more examples on how we can do this. He says to love our enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who persecute you. Now let's look at these. Because if I'm going to relearn what Jesus is saying, if I'm going to allow him to search my heart, then I have to be, be willing to do good to those who hate me. Now, let's, let's make it easy real quick. You know that neighbor that you live by, the one that you don't like to see, that you try to avoid at the mailbox, that when they're driving down the street, suddenly your shoe needs to be untied and you got flip-flops on? <laughs> yep, see, you all have them. How about this? They may not like you, but them not liking you doesn't change the fact that Jesus said that we're to do good to those that hate us. So maybe we can begin simply with this. Two things are happening right now. I'm waving and I'm smiling. Maybe God would lay it on your heart to just make some cookies and drop them off at their house. Maybe the next time it snows, he would ask you to go and shovel their driveway. Here's the key to this, though. As God begins to impress things on your heart to do good to those who don't really want to do any good for you, when he begins to do that, do it now. Because if you think too long about it, guess what? You're going to talk yourself out of it. Nah, you know what? They probably wouldn't even appreciate it and da-da-da-da-da. And I don't look at the way they looked at me. They didn't even wave back the last time. And we will, if we study long, we will study wrong. Do it when God says to do it now. Not because they will accept it, but because it's the right thing to do. Then he says what? Pray for those. Oh, let me, let me back up. He says, bless those who curse you. So we got do good. Bless those that curse you. 
man, again, this is, this is about speaking words of life about people who would speak ill towards you. If I want things to begin to change, I have to begin to plant seeds of change. And if the power of life and death is in the tongue, then I better begin to speak some life to situations. I better begin to speak change that I hope to see, that I'm going to pray and see. By better, I better be willing to speak about that. I better apologize every now and then to calm a situation. Wow, Pastor Kevin, but what if I'm right? What if your willingness and your desire to be right makes someone walk away from the invitation to Jesus? Is an argument worth stopping the advancement of the kingdom? Is you having the last word and and shutting someone down worth them missing out on what God could do in their heart? I need to begin to bless those who curse me. And that means I have to begin to refrain from doing things that I normally would. See, I gotta relearn some things and then I gotta refrain from letting my emotions lead. Man, some of us, myself included, when emotions are running high, more times than not, I make decisions that I regret later. In all areas, whether it's anger, excitement, I make bad judgment calls. Emotions are great indicators. They're horrible leaders. I cannot base all my decisions on my emotions. I have to refrain from letting them lead. I have to refrain from drawing lines when Jesus constantly is drawing circles around people. I have to refrain from drawing lines when Jesus draws circles around people. I have to refrain from making statements like, well, all of those people over there, they're like this. All of them, I don't understand why anyone could ever believe this. Guess what I'm doing right there? I'm drawing a line right in the middle while Jesus is still drawing circles around us. You have to refrain from drawing lines when Jesus drew circles. We have to refrain from treating enemies like they would hope to treat us. Because at the end of the day, I'm supposed to be different. We are supposed to be different because of Jesus. So can I just put this in the area that I feel like this is the most dangerous for us? Some of us have decided to engage in social media. We love social media. And we love to get in arguments on social media. We love to prove our point on social media. We love to make absolute statements on social media. We love to throw people in categories on social media. Can I ask you, as the body of Christ, to refrain from treating people as your enemy on social media? Can you begin to to filter through that post that you really need to post because someone needs to set them straight? Can Can you begin to filter that through, that article that you're going to post, that picture that you're going to post? Can you begin to ask, is this going to draw someone towards the kingdom or repel them from it? Because you see, it might be your social media account, but if we're reflecting who Jesus is to the world, what they see in you is what they believe in God. We have to begin to refrain. We have to begin to refocus. We have to get our eyes back on the prize. The prize is advancing the kingdom. The prize is living in unity, walking, loving, and lifting up my brother. The prize is loving my neighbor. And who is my neighbor? Everyone is my neighbor. I have to begin to to refocus. As I pray for those who persecute me, this is the prayers that, that are really hard to pray. Not the get them, God. Not the, did you see what they did, God? Not the, not the ones about people 
or against people, but what if you begin to be an advocate for the people who persecute you? What if you begin to say things like, God, I don't know how you're going to do this, but just change their heart, change their life. God, do something for them. I don't know. What, what if you begin to pray that way? Here's what happens. As I begin to pray for them, God begins to do work in me. If I allow him to search my heart, if I'm willing to refrain from doing things and relearn what he wants to do, and I begin to refocus on the kingdom, I remember that I represent him. I remember that the love that God showed for me when I was broken in sin, when I walked away from him, that that love allowed him to send his son to die for me in my place, even when I was the enemy, even when I told him I didn't want anything to do with him, even when I walked away from him, even when I blamed him for all my problems, that didn't stop the love that he had for me. And guess what? The love that he had for me is the love I'm supposed to have for everyone else. And if I'm brave enough to allow God to search my heart, then I can be brave enough to pray like David did in Psalm 51 where he said, God created me a new heart and renew a right spirit in me. Search me, tell me what's wrong and I'll make adjustments. God, just be my God. Work on my heart. If I will let God search the barriers of my heart, then God will help us to step over barriers in society. And really quick, if you have your Bible, I want to show you something in John 4. If you can go to your Bible really quick in John 4, if you have your phone, go to John 4. Right here in John 4, we see Jesus and the disciples. They're walking and going back. They're traveling back to Galilee. And I want to show you this scripture. Go to verse 4, John 4, 4. I want to show you something really quick. John 4, 4, and it'll pop up on the screen if you're not there yet. It's very, very short. It's not as short as Jesus wept, but it's short. He says, he had to go through Samaria on the way. Do you see that word had? There was something that Jesus needed to do in Samaria. Now, I know you may be thinking, okay, that, that's ringing some bells. This was the story when Jesus had, he had traveled there, and uh, there was a woman at the well. And he had told the woman at the well some things about her life. And she was, she was uh, transformed and she went back to the city. But I want to show you something, where Jesus, what Jesus did. When Jesus is going back, excuse me, when he is going through this city, he is doing something that he, he's doing something that he sees needs a change. And so Jesus led the way in change. How so? Samarian, uh, people that were in the, in the city of Samaria... They were labeled as unworthy. They were labeled as beneath Jews. They were labeled as not on the same level as Jews. They were labeled as dirty. There was all these labels that were on the people in Samaria. And Jesus said, I needed to break the societal barrier and go through Samaria. If you see when it says had in the verse, verse 4, it says had. You can check every other translation. It'll say had. It'll say must. It'll say, it'll, it, it's, a, it's a word that says that this had to be done, right? And so in your personal life, I'm thinking through, if society has labeled a certain situation already, if society has given a certain label to something, are you willing to break the societal barriers to go to that person? Are you willing to break the, the, the things that have been in place by this culture to reach someone for Jesus? 
spiritual needs, Jesus saw that spiritual needs were more important than the society, than the line society had drawn. Spiritual needs in a person's life was more important than the line society had drawn. Now, for you, I want you to think through this. Are, are, we, are we more worried about the validation of people rather than the validation of God? Are we more worried about what people will think if I go to this place? What people will think if I talk to this person? What, what will people think if I actually, if I stood up for this? Jesus led the way in change. When he saw that something was inconsistent with God's character, what did he do? The Bible says he had to go. He said, I must go. Think through that. Write that down in your life. If it's a person, if it's a situation, if it, whatever it is, where is God asking you to go? Jesus led the way. What's, what's, what's funny is the disciples wouldn't have ever went to Samaria if Jesus didn't lead there. Did you hear me? The disciples would have never went if Jesus didn't lead the way. And so I don't know if it's you right now that God is calling you to lead the way in a situation, lead the way in talking to someone, because there's some people around you, they're going to see that, they're going to identify that and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, maybe he's on to something. It goes back to this. This goes, goes back to the heart. The heart is where it starts. The heart is where it starts. Are you willing to step over societal barriers to reach somebody? Are you willing to put down the validation of people for the validation of God? It's, it's hard. It's not something that you can just wake up out of bed. Because think about this. You have a group of people over here. You have society, a, a bunch of people. Then you have Jesus right here. As soon as you go this way to Jesus, as soon as you do something that is for God, that is uh, with the word of God, these people over here are going to, there's going to be a lot of people that are looking at you side-eyed like, what are you doing? We've labeled that person as dirty. We've labeled that situation as something we can't touch. And who are you to go over there? Jesus said, nah, we must go. We have to go. I, 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 must, show, I must show the disciples that me, my gospel, Jesus Christ, it's not just for the Jews, but it's for everybody. It's not just for them, it's for everyone. I want to show you a verse, John, John 27, uh, excuse me, 427. So Jesus talks to the, Samaria, to the woman in Samaria at the well, right? And then the woman goes back to the city. So when she goes back to the city, the disciples are coming up to Jesus. So the woman is probably, I don't know, she, she's, they probably see her in the distance walking or running. And the disciples, this, this is what it says in verse 27. It says, just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. Watch this. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? Those questions were questions that were in their heart. Why are you talking to her? Why are you supporting that? We've labeled them already. We've already, put, we've already put them in this category over here that we don't talk to. We're too godly to go over there. We're Jews. They're, they're, Samar they're from Samaria. Why in the world would you do that? The disciples every day were walking with Jesus. They were talking with Jesus. They were hanging out with Jesus. They saw him perform miracles. 
but yet they still had something in their heart that Jesus needed to address. But yet they still had something in their heart that Jesus needed to address. For us right now, each day we could be growing in Christ. We could be, we could be reading our Bible daily. We could be doing all these different things, but because of the labels that society has put on a certain situation, we may not be able to see some things in our heart that needs to be changed. Jesus identified this in the disciples' hearts. He said, I need to show them that they must go here. Pastor Kevin had referenced earlier about Psalm 139, about searching our hearts. That's a dangerous prayer. If you ask God to search your heart, if you're bold enough to do that, will you be satisfied with what he tells you to do next? Will you be okay with what he tells you to do after you pray that prayer? There's going to be some people that may look at you side-eyed. But for us as the body of Christ, as you remember last week, we talked about being unified. And in order for us to stay unified and to be unified, we have to check our hearts. And when Jesus checks our hearts and he searches our hearts, there's going to be some things that he's going to ask us to do after. Are we willing? Are we willing to put down the validation of people to advance the kingdom of God? Are we willing to put down the validation of people to advance the kingdom of God together, unified? See, when Jesus was stepping over the societal lines in the actual society, in the city, in the physical He was doing at the same time, breaking the barriers in the disciples' hearts. He did a two for one. He did a two for one. He went and broke a barrier in person while breaking a barrier in their heart. That's that's the challenge for this week. God, what is it that I need to to do? What, what's the change that I, that I need to take place in? What, what is the thing that you have that put in my life, the person, the place, the thing that you've put in my life that I need to lead in that area so that other people can see your love, so that the kingdom of God can be advanced? Stand up. I'm done. There's, there's some people in here right now You're looking at me, and you're thinking, this Jesus that you're talking about, he sounds amazing. He sounds great. But what do I need to do? What what do I do to put him in my life, to put him in my heart? I'm going to say a prayer. And for the benefit of people in this moment that may be coming to Jesus right now, or a person that may be coming back to Christ. I want us to pray together as a church family.
every head bowed and every eye closed. Jesus, I am a sinner in need of a savior. I believe that you died on the cross for me and rose on the third day. I confess that I want you as the Lord and ruler of my life. Change my thoughts, change my actions, change my ways. From this day forward, I want to live the rest of my life following you. Every head bowed and eye closed still. If you just said that prayer and you just came back to the Lord or you just accepted the Lord for the first time, I'm going to count to three. And I want you to raise your hand. One, God loves you. Two, you'll never be the same. Three, if you just said that prayer, shoot your hand up. Shoot your hand up. We want to celebrate with you. We want to celebrate. Our prayer is that this message impacted you. We would love to hear your story and have you partner with us financially as we work to spread the life-changing story of Jesus. You can do this at newvisiongrandview.com.